Okay, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. Romans 5, 8 through 11. I just want to talk about biblical optimism. And then at the end, I want to share some things I think are so encouraging. Um, talk about biblical optimism. Thank you, Jennifer. Demonstrates. It means he does. He shows us. <laughs> Amen. Uh, eight, 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his, the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Optimism. You know, the world has a uh, vain optimism because they don't know Jesus. But we as Christians have the biblical, uh, the real optimism that is so important. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Proverbs 10, 28 says, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. So we see here those who have vain optimism their hopes are in vain because they don't know Jesus. They don't have the, the real hope there. And they ultimately come to nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God and who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Isaiah chapter 3 says this, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. A sinner may seem to do well for a while, but there's a day of reckoning that's coming. You know, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Moses saw him, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He had a glimpse of that redemptive, of redemption of Jesus, really, you get down to it. And it says that he, obviously, he, he forego, he forwent the uh, temporary pleasures of sin. He, because the pleasures of sin are for a season. They're only temporary and then come the consequences. And that's what we see today in people. We see even in this country and the things that we've talked about not too long ago, the abortion issue. We see the corruption that's taking place in our government. We're seeing uh, things that I have not seen in my lifetime, and I've kept up with 
uh, political things over the years, and so have you. But we are not seeing, we haven't seen that. There will be a day of reckoning. A lot of people feel like they're getting away with all these things, but one day they will stand before God Almighty and have the given account. And so to have biblical optimism, it's most important to have that. And that's the question that we have for each one of us today. Do we have really optimism that is biblical and not necessarily superficial things that, you know, sometimes people get optimistic because they get a new car or maybe they get an increase in their salary or maybe they get something new. A lot of times it's, it winds up in material things, but but it, that, that optimism and it is just temporary. Biblical optimism, I think, works something down in our hearts, and it's called joy. And no matter what the circumstances are in our lives, is that we can go through them and maintain the joy of the Lord, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we get weak physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and many times it's because we've lost that joy. You've sort of lost that little snap in your step. You've sort of lost that song in your heart. And that's because a lot of times that we have this, we, we've latched on to the world system and we're going along with the way things are, trying to gain some type of pleasure out of these things. And the pleasures are only temporary. The only thing's eternal is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we look at some examples. I love the when we look at it uh, in the scriptures um, about the different types of stories that are there. Everything, obviously, Old Testament, New Testament, everything points to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And uh, one day he is coming back. But a lot of times uh, the temporal things of this world gain our attention more than the eternal riches of heaven. We're not reflecting upon the things of, of, of heaven, the things that are eternal, and, and so often we will have uh, optimism that is, um, is not everlasting. So the first thing, as we look at your sheet here, uh, what does an optimist, optimism rooted in and grounded in uh, in the Word of God look like? First of all, biblical optimism knows God's attitude towards his people. I love this, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you know that that's for you and me? Do you know today that God is working something out in your life and my life and even here in the ministry at Lighthouse Fellowship and the plans are for good. The plans are to give a future to the ministry here at Lighthouse Fellowship. The plans of God is to give you a hope and a future. That's the plans of God. Now, let me tell you today, God has spoken it. Don't negate it. And don't sort of look at it and diminish it because God's word is powerful. God's word is saying today that he loves us so much that he will never reject us. There may be discipline and there will be discipline in our lives, but he never turns away from us. A lot of times people have the picture of God that he's just the, uh, the guy up there in heaven and he's got a big stick and the minute you mess up that he's going to come down on you. That's not who God is. And certainly we read that scripture. He says, even when we were enemies of God, God blessed us, didn't he? he? Even when we were against God, even when we didn't pay any attention to God, God still blessed us. I know it, that's true in my life. 
when I was far away, when I was doing my own thing and I, had, I was not doing what I should be doing and so forth, God still blessed me. God touched me. You see, His loving kindness draws us to repentance. It's not the wrath of God that does that. You can read in Revelation that when things really get bad, they basically cry out for the rocks to fall on them because obviously they don't want to repent. They refuse to repent. A hard heart. God's loving kindness, and he never rejects his people. And we, so we see here, he demonstrates his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in the pits, when we were doing all types of mess that we're not proud of, that brought shame and guilt on us, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you and me to get our lives right. He died for us. He went to Calvary. Isn't that good news today? So biblical optimism is rooted in God's attitude towards his people today. You've got to know his attitude. The wonderful thing is, even while we were enemies of God, you think about how much more he'll do in your life now that you're a child of God. You're God's kids. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love to use that. We're his kiddos, okay? Isn't that great today? And you know how much you want to bless your children, bless your grandchildren. You just do anything for them. In fact, many parents and grandparents have and will and continue to do and so forth. But how much more will God do for us? In Romans chapter 8, it says, What then shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also along with us, him, get freely, give us all things? He says he gives us Jesus, Jesus, but then he freely gives us all things. He gives us what we need, and obviously in, in our lives we see way beyond that. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God's the only one that could bring a charge, and he's the one that justifies. Isn't that great? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, who is also risen, and who is even at the right hand of God, who is ever making intercession for us. So Jesus is not condemning us. He's not bringing condemnation on you and I. He is justifying us, and he's even seated there saying, I'm praying for you today. Hallelujah. I'm praying for my church. I'm praying for my kiddos, okay? He makes intercession for us. Paul is trying to describe this great mystery here when he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I believe Paul is sort of like searching for everything he can to put it down and say, something's got to separate us and he can't find anything. As it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor the height, nor depth, nor anything other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing absolutely nothing but what the devil tells us and we're hearing testimony he comes along and says oh yeah you know we'd never say that god would leave us or forsake us we know that's not true but what he wants you to do is is to sort of live draw back some just don't don't press into this thing jesus thing too much 
don't really get passionately in love with Jesus. Come on now. I mean, you know, we can go to church. You know, you're okay. You know, everything is fine. And that's what he whispers constantly. And yet God is there beckoning. He's drawing us and saying, push in. There's more to me than you've ever experienced in your life. And I want to reveal to you myself in a marvelous way. I want to do this for you because you're my kids. You'd give your kids your shirt off your back, wouldn't you? Isn't that what God does and beyond? He gives us the shirt off his back, so to speak, doesn't he? He does that on a regular basis. You've got to know God's attitude towards his kids if you're going to have a biblical optimism. Otherwise, you're going to flounder through life and you'll never really experience that abundant life that's talked about in John chapter 10. Since God is for us, he's not against us. His thoughts towards us are thoughts of peace, not in any way condemnation. Second thing is, and you'll notice there on your handout, is biblical optimism remembers God's faithfulness in the past. You know, um, what happened there, the children of Israel, they were suffering under cool, cruel slavery to the Egyptians there, and remember, and, uh, and the oppressors were even killing their first, the newborn baby boys, and God intervened in behalf of his. Ten plagues took place. We know the Ten Commandments there, and God parted the Red Sea to make a way when there didn't seem to be a way. God told him to keep the Passover as remembrance of what he had done for them. And it's important to rehearse and remember the good things God has done for us. And in Psalm 103, and forget not all of his benefits, who heals all of your diseases, delivers you from all of your sins, your iniquities, and yet forget not all of his benefits. That's why I take time Sunday after Sunday, to allow people to talk about what God has done in your life, remembering what God has. We'll continue to press biblical optimism. You'll be optimistic about your walk with the Lord. You remember what happened with when David faced Goliath? Remember, he remembered how God had killed the lion and he killed the, the bear. And remember what he said, he, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? who defies the army of the living God. You and I need to say that to the devil. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? Since God is for us, who can be against us? Who fights for us? He goes into tomorrow and the next day and the next week, and he fights for us. That's biblical optimism. That gets you in saying, I have not. Obviously, you think you've messed up for the last time, and God is ready to give up on you. And that's not true. That is not true. But that's what sometimes the devil comes along and whispers. You see here the third thing, biblical optimism expects God's help in the present. You remember the story in Acts chapter 27? Paul was a prisoner. I think he was going to Rome. And remember, he had a prophetic word there, a word, a knowledge, a word of knowledge. And God says, you know, um, don't continue to go that way because you're going to face a storm. Remember what happened? And Paul tried to get them to not go into the direction they're going. And Captain said, no, we're going that way anyway. Remember what happened? And remember that they shipwrecked and um, they ran aground and so forth. He had already told, he's told the, his captors, the guards, that none of them would lose their lives. Remember that? 
And remember, they ship, shipwrecked. It did exactly what God had told Paul. And, and in spite of all of that, that they were all saved. Now think about this for a moment. Paul was a prisoner on that ship. And what happened was God turned the whole scenario around to where now Paul was given leadership to this group. They were listening to Paul. So Paul now was the commander, if you want to say it that way. Paul was, it was turned around. Think about your circumstances today. Sometimes they look dire. Sometimes they don't look like there's any way that you can get out of them. It doesn't look like maybe that you have a hope and a future. And somehow you hang in there and you keep trusting God. And God turns around and reverses it to where you're on top now. How about that? Amen? That's our God. That's biblical optimism and saying that God can do this thing. Romans 8, 28. He works all things the good of those who... Love him and are called according to his purpose, certainly here. But he expects God's help. God, Paul knew God would help him. No matter what you're facing and no matter what I'm facing, God assures us that he'll be an ever-present help in our time of trouble. Amen. He will help us. Number four, it says biblical optimism sees the unseen. I love this one also. I love this story. I love the stories of the Bible. Second Kings chapter 6, remember this? When the king of Syria would lay traps for the king of Israel. It uh, obviously it never worked because God would give Elisha a word of knowledge about what was going on. And Elisha would tell the king of Israel and the Is Israeli king would avoid the trap. Remember that? So the king of Syria got, got mad about it and sent a huge army to capture Elisha and bring him back to Syria as a prisoner. And during the night, this army surrounds the village where Elisha is. And the next morning, remember, Elisha's servant steps out and he sees this army there, and he's going, we're done. He goes back to the prophet, Elisha. He said, we've had it. Remember? Remember the story? You know, we're done because, you know, there's too many of them out there. It looks bad for us. And yet, what does Elisha do? He prays. He said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. And remember, God opened the eyes, the spiritual eyes of the servant, and the servant went, whoa, those who are with us are far more than those who are with them. Amen? Now, that's our God. This is not just a story tale that a preacher up here wants to tell you. This is who our God is. And this brings biblical optimism, brings great optimism. Say, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. You know what I want to tell you today? How many times an angel has protected Jim Barcliffe, or maybe you, when you talk, didn't even know it and realize it? If we could see into the spirit realm right now, we would probably be amazed at what's going on. We'd be amazed at those angels that are fighting on our behalf, those demonic spirits that are trying to get at you and me to bring death and destruction. And yet God is saying, open the eyes of their hearts that they may see. You see, biblical optimism begins to see those things that are unseen. Isn't that great? God's speaking today, folks. Listen up. Give an ear to him. Incline your ear to him. Oh, God, thank you. And, and truly pay attention here. Now, what happens, if you remember, is that um, as God strikes all the Syrians with blindness, and Elisha leads them to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, let's slaughter all of them and do away with them. But what does Elisha do? 
he feeds them a meal and sends them back to Syria. All right. Love, the love of God. Even enemies of God and God's people, we are to bless. We're to bless those who persecute us because it's like heaping cold coals on their head. It's like, obviously, the conviction there. And we're not to look at the results because if someone doesn't come back and repent before you, maybe that's harmed you or maybe said bad words about you, no matter what, we are to bless them. Start blessing people today with the blessings of the Lord. Betty's going into a situation that is very dire. I mean, it's like the lion's den in a way. But what is Betty Maple said to hear today? I won't call you out, but you're good. You've spoken this sermon today, Betty, before I even started. What the you would say, I'm gonna bless them. I don't care, I want to love them. I just want to love them. You know, and, and bless them. I don't care what you've said about me. I don't care what you've done to me. I don't care how you've treated me. I want to bless you. Elisha fed the Syrians, and they were going to do Elisha in. Doesn't make any difference. We are to bless those who curse us. Number five. Christian optimism is unmoved by the externals. Remember 2 Corinthians, it says, Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He said, we're going on. Don't give up, because if you don't give up, God will show up. If you don't give up, obviously, you will overcome. Don't give up. Keep on. Whatever the affliction is, it could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, no matter what. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is one of my favorite. I don't like to even use it because it's very powerful. He says this, therefore, we don't lose heart. Even though we're wasting away on the outside, he says, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. He said, for our light and momentary afflictions, are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on those things that are seen, but those things that are unseen, because those things that are seen are temporary, but those things that are unseen are eternal. How many of you know that you're wasting away on the outside? Can you raise your hand? <laughs> Amen. My knee's killing me. <laughs> oh. You know, as we get older, all types of stuff starts setting in, doesn't it? You know, that's why they have um, laxatives. They have bare aspirin. They have all this stuff out there today. And, you know, it seems like I'm spending more time at that counter than I was before. We don't lose heart because outwardly we're being obviously wasting away. But then what does he say? Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger. We're drawing close to Jesus. We're getting stronger. The things of this world don't seem to matter anymore. Does that seem kind of like what y'all are thinking also? For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a glory that all far outweighs them all. For a light and momentary, but it doesn't seem to be. But Paul is talking under the inspiration of the Spirit of God that in, in regards to, in parallel with the spiritual, these are just really short term. 
These are just brief times. That's the only way we can go through it is keep our eyes on those things that are not seen because they're in eternal and not those things that are seen. Nothing around us. Everything rusts. Even, you know, back, I love antiques. A lot of them are rusted, but those things are eternal. They're unseen. So give us eyes to see, Lord. Let us see just like Elisha's servant saw. See the things of God the way you see them. It's unmoved by externals, no matter what happens. You see a carnal Christian, one who's just sort of wishy-washy about a relationship with Jesus, you know, they don't want that kind of optimism. They want the optimism that works exactly like the world. You know, I don't, I don't want any hardship. I don't want any physical challenges. I don't want any emotional challenges or worldly things around me. And yet God sort of tailors every trial and every tribulation that you and I go through to make us more like Jesus, right? To make us more like Jesus. Can we remember that? Nothing else remembered. Can we remember that? He'll tailor make everything in your life and my life. And because we're wasting away, yet inward we're being renewed day by day. Biblical optimism rejoices in its relationship with the Lord. So connected with Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have all you need. Don't need to worry about anything because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Remember what Habakkuk said? Habakkuk 3 says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, but the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he'll make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. He says, no matter if nothing works out, I rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice, rejoice here. I I can live a life of praise just because I belong to the Lord. Remember when the disciples came back? And they said, man, the demons even submit to me, to, to us, and, and to your power in our lives. Remember what they said there? And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb's book of life doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference today. We can rejoice and praise him. And it may take, obviously, that sacrifice of praise. But we can praise him. The sixth, seventh thing here is that a biblical optimism anticipates a final victory. Final victory. Things are getting worse here. When they start killing children in the womb, third trimester, and possibly outside the womb, things are getting worse. But we know where we're going to wind up because I've read the end of the book. Have you? I know what it says. Hallelujah. I love it. I love it. Amen. So uh, I want to tell you, Revelation 19 says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, 
and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Anybody want to tell me what that is? King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I want to tell you, we bear God's image. And I believe God's doing something so powerful in the world today. I want to be a part of it. And um, I want Lighthouse Fellowship. I want all of you to be a part of it today. I want to tell you, God loves new beginnings. We've gotten that word. 2019 is going to be a year of new beginnings. We are to bear his image. You see in Ephesians chapter 3, it actually, we're here as the church to show his glory through his church here. And obviously, Romans 14 says that it's righteousness, peace, and joy into the world. We are to provide, we are to impart that to people. And, and, and in our lives is what the, the kingdom of heaven is. Righteousness, peace, and joy here. We need to encounter the Lord. That's why I pray for those young people. I want you to pray. I want all of you to commit. I'm saying this so you'll bring to mind to pray for our young people. There's some not here with us today, but those who are coming and they'll come back. Be in prayer. Trust me. I'm just saying, be in prayer that they would encounter the Holy Spirit of God and experience with the Lord. Amen. And obviously we need to pray. We need to obviously make a turbulence in the spirit realm. But and I want to share, and I'll end with this too, because what we face is the battle with sin. We know that 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we battle with sins. Let me suggest to you a couple of things. This is not original. This is something I've heard, but I want to impart it to you and share it with you too. You may not get it any other way because I think it's so important. The first thing is, is when you go in, and so let me give you an example. Some of you may be, and maybe no one in here, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes I'm impatient. I'm frustrated. You know, you get frustrated. And sometimes, and, and uh, maybe you deal with that. And uh, maybe or you have a lack of peace that you believe. You're going, Jesus, I know God gives us peace. Okay, but I'm just, sometimes I'm in turmoil. Get into the Word and take all the Scriptures that speak the opposite of what you're experiencing. Peace and love and joy and kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. But speak that and pray it. Make it a prayer habit to pray those prayers, those scriptures that you find that are the opposite of what that little maybe uh, besetting sin is, whatever it may be. And pray that on a regular basis, okay? Now, Deuteronomy 25, 17 base through 18 talks about they had no fear of God. One thing I pray on a regular basis that the Spirit would would uh, impart to me the spirit of fear of, of God because our country has no fear of God. And maybe the parts of the church have no fear of God. I'm not talking about being afraid of Him. I'm talking about being reverent and respectful of Him. Cultivate, the second thing is, make it a prayer habit. Get in if you deal with a particular issue, war against that particular besetting sin, whatever it is, whatever, jealousy. Um, uh, sometimes you feel because we've been raised in different environments, it may be that you feel like, um, that you know, I just don't measure up. Whatever it may be, put it before the Lord and keep praying until you get to breakthrough, okay? 
The second thing is cultivate the fear of God in your life. Cultivate the fear of God. Get into it and respect Him. Um, And let me ask you a question. When is a teacher silent in the classroom? Anybody know? When is the teacher silent in the classroom? When? Go ahead. When they're listening. When they're listening, okay? Okay, that's it. When they're listening. Okay. I'm going to give a specific thing now. Anybody? When is... Huh? When they're answering a question, right. Okay, when they're listening. When they're answering a question, okay. But think about it. A teacher is only silent when they're given a test. Y'all flipped it over about God? If God's being silent right now, what do you think's happening in your life? Could be under a test right now. Oh, I saw a lot of you smile because you know what I'm saying. When he gives a test, it may be that he's silent. Don't give give up and don't throw the towel in. Know that he loves you. And remember, the fear, fear of God is not being afraid in that. The fear of God is respect and reverence for him. So it's a difference there. Remember, he's never going to reject you. He's always going to love you. And no matter what you and I do, we may be disciplined, but he's never going to turn away. But he may be giving you a test, and it seems like he's silent. You see, he'll speak. He'll speak again at the time that he's ready and knowing you're ready to hear, okay? But he hasn't turned away from you. Because sometimes when we're in a real bad place, a difficult place, we think somehow God has rejected us and he sort of wiped his hands of us. No, uh-uh, he never rejects us. So if he's quiet right now, he may be giving you a test. Amen. This pastor said this, and he used this. I'll use it also because it was good. When he was a young man, he would go out in the evening and um, he would call him by name and he would say this to him. He said, don't forget who you are. God's speaking today saying, don't forget who you are when you're out in the marketplace or when you're behind closed doors or wherever it may be. Don't forget who you are. We're children of God. And we don't want to defame God's name under any circumstances. He's loving. He's redemptive. Thank God. Hallelujah. But he doesn't. Obviously, he wants us to cultivate that fear of God, which our society is mainly lost at this point. These are the things he's doing in preparing. Could we bear his image? Job, obviously, bore his image in such a way as when God said, have you considered my servant Job? Remember when the devil was looking for somebody to test? I'm not asking for, for any examination from the enemy because he's the accuser of the brethren, but, but maybe we would be worthy to say, have, have you considered my servant? 
You see, he's preparing us, folks. He's getting us ready for something so powerful. Don't let it go past you. Don't waste it. May be under a test right now because he's been quiet. You know what you do when that happens, when he is quiet, is go back to the last thing that he's told you to do or you feel like in your heart of hearts and keep doing that until he changes it or he affirms and he continues on in that. Wait, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not get weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Amen? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's the word of God for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed, Lord. We want biblical optimism coming through the Word of God, through your presence in our lives, in our corporate worship, in our families, in our cars, Lord, trucks, in our society. Holy Spirit of God, how we long for you to come and touch us and and reveal yourself just as you're doing right now. And Lord, we yield and surrender our hearts, our lives, our stuff, and whatever it may be, we give it all to thee. And we thank you. And the most precious name that has ever been spoken or ever will be spoken, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.